Our Father, we come before you. We thank you again for the privilege of coming to worship you. Lord, I thank you for all that has been said and done today. We pray that it brings honor and glory to you. Now, as we look into your word, I pray that you would guide our thoughts and our uh, insights and that, Father, your Holy Spirit would take and apply it to our lives. We thank you, Lord, and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. While they're being seated, let me um, put in a plug for something. We I've had several people asking about the uh, the CDs out there and the sermon CDs, and uh, we don't really have them out there. You can order them. You can put in an order if you want, but we are also putting them online. You can, if you didn't know this, you can go online to dogwoodathens.com and uh, find the sermons and hear sermons that you've missed because several people have asked about things that they've missed and would like to catch that up. So just go online and listen to them there at your convenience, okay? Whenever I was uh, living in Florida in Bible college, and I've told you some stories about that before, but um, I went out to the beach one day. We lived about a block off the beach um, there in Hollywood, Florida, and uh, was deciding that this lady came up and she was talking to me. I was walking down the beach, and, and so I thought I'd take this opportunity to share Christ with her, so I began to ask her leading questions that would lead into a discussion about Christ. And when my time was all said and done, I realized that I had grabbed a hold of a tiger. And this lady, this lady was uh, very philosophical and very articulate, and and she was asking me questions I had no answer for. And it finally came to the point where I just basically had to say, you know what, I'm going to have to think about that and get back with you, because I didn't know what to say to her um, at that point in my life. And I felt like a failure. I can remember, you know, walking down the beach after that, thinking to myself, boy, you really messed things up on that, and uh, what a failure I was, and how ashamed God must be of me, and that sort of thing. And I don't know, I think that's probably true of a lot of us. Have you ever stepped out to try to do something for God? You wanted to serve God? You wanted to take a chance and do something? Maybe the pastor got you excited about something, only to find that you... At the end of all that was said and done, you felt like you blew it. You just messed it up. And I think a lot of us have gone through that at times. And uh, whenever that takes place, usually what happens is this. There's usually two different or two reactions. Sometimes we feel them both, usually. But reactions go to something like this. We become very discouraged, very discouraged with what we're feeling. We feel ashamed. We feel like we've let God down. We convince ourselves and we say to ourselves, man, I'm, I'm a terrible Christian and I can never be able to do this and, and God must be very ashamed of me because I tried to serve him and I really blew it. And if I were a better Christian, I would have done a better job. Now, I don't know if you believe this or not, but the, all of those statements are false. All of those things that we believe that God thinks about us and how terrible we must be, none of those things are true. But yet we tell ourselves those lies all the time. Now, another reaction is that we become afraid. We're afraid and fearful of ever trying it again because we feel like in our own hearts that we let God down. Maybe we're embarrassed because of our failure. Maybe we uh, feel guilty because we've you know, done what we've done or didn't do a good job. Whatever it may be, we think to ourselves, well, I can't ever do this again. I'm not ever even going to try. And we don't. Now, what we need to realize is this, that the Christian life, it is a series of failures. We pick ourselves back up again and we go on. And we all fail at some point in our lives in some way and we need to pick ourselves back up again and go. 
everyone fails. Everyone. If you've ever tried anything for the Lord, you know that you have failed. There have been times where you just blew it. And no matter what happens, it seems like you just can't stop it from happening because it happens to all of us. We failed at some point in our lives. Now the question is, and this is what we're going to be looking at today, and the question is this. Okay, I've blown it. I've failed. I've messed up. So what do I do now, and how do I move forward after blowing it like this? Now what we're going to talk about today applies to any situation in life any situation where you feel like you've blown it. It might be that you've fallen into sin. It might be that you've blown a marriage, you know, uh, messed up with, with raising your children. It could be a number of things. But what I'm doing today is this. I am focusing in on a very narrow application. I'm looking at ministry failures. Those things and times where you have tried to do something for God. Now, ministry, basically, I'm, I'm using it this way. Any kind of kingdom work, anything that you have attempted to do in some way to serve God, I'm terming ministry. You've reached out to somebody, you've done something, you have put forth an effort to, to honor God and to serve Him. Let me give you some examples. Inviting somebody to church would be an example of what I'm talking about. You invited somebody to church, and maybe numerous times, and they've never come. I've seen people out here on Sunday morning sometimes waiting in the foyer because they've invited a friend to come and that friend never comes. And I can just see the disappointment on their face because they were so excited about this person coming and only to find that they didn't. And not only that, but you go back to work or school or wherever it was that you met them or know them and now they're avoiding you because they don't want you to ever ask them again. And so you begin to think to yourself, boy, I really messed that one up. But that's that's ministry. That's what I'm talking about. Acts of kindness. You decide you're going to help somebody. So you make a, 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 an attempt to help somebody in some area of need only to find that they don't appreciate it. They don't really care. And not only that, but they have taken advantage of you. And you think to yourself, man, how could I have been so foolish? And I have just have messed it up and I'm never going to do that again. Sharing your faith like I talked about earlier. You, you know, at work or school or in your neighborhood or family member, you think, I'm going to tell this person about Jesus Christ. I'm burdened about this and I want to talk to them. And they ask you questions that you can't answer or you say the wrong thing. At least you think it's the wrong thing. You look foolish. Maybe they even get mad at you and call you names. Maybe they ever even say to you, don't ever call, talk to me about this again. And you leave there thinking to yourself, this person is going to hell and it's my fault. Because I messed up, I should have done a better job. And again, that's not true, but this is some of the things that we, we tell ourselves. Another example of a ministry would be trying to have devotions with your family. You know, as dad or mom, you, you think to yourself, we really need to, to be involved in the spiritual upbringing of our children more. And so we try to have devotions with them only to find you, you, it just doesn't work. You know, the kids don't want to be there. They get mad at you. They just sit there. They don't even say anything. And pretty soon you just give up. That would be a, a ministry failure. It could be anything in the church that you do. You want to be involved in or have tried to do, be involved in prison ministry, and that didn't work out well for you. You're never going to do that again. Youth ministry, children's teaching. The list goes on and on. Anything where you have endeavored to serve God in some capacity and you blew it. And you don't want to do it again. 
and you've convinced yourselves that it's not for you, and you have kind of taken a back seat and convinced yourself you're not going to ever do that again. You know, this is why, you know, I appreciate when people like Caitlin get up here and sing, you know, she's never done that before. It's a step of faith for her, and uh, I'm, I'm proud of her for doing that, and I hope she does it again, don't you? Yeah, but that's what I'm talking about. Something like that where you think maybe you blew it, maybe you failed, and you don't ever want to try it again. Now, here's where I'm going with this in this message today, and that is this. We've been studying the book of Joshua for several months now, and the same thing now has, has happened to Joshua because he is at a point in his life where he has experienced failure. And he's never experienced this before, and he doesn't quite know what to do with it. And as we looked at last week, we looked at the story where Achan was the guy in the, in the group, the camp of the Israelites, that stole some things, and he wasn't supposed to, and God judged all of them. And they go out to take the, the city of Ai, and they've just conquered Jericho, great and glorious victory. Now they're going to do the next thing a couple of days later, and they go attack it, only to find that they get beat. Thirty-six of them die. And they're left kind of scratching their heads. Now let me read you this. I think we read this portion of chapter 7 last week. But this will kind of bring you up to speed on what they're thinking. And in speci- uh, in, uh, specifically what I'm looking at is what Joshua is thinking. In Joshua chapter 7 verses 6 through 9. Let me just read this for you. okay? Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? (laughs) Why did you do this? You know, you brought us over here and we had a great victory in Jericho. Now you're letting us get beat. What is the deal here? Just like we think. The rest of the sentence, or the rest of the verse says this, If only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Pardon your servant, Lord. What can I say? Now that Israel has been routed by the enemies, the Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe wipe out our name from the earth. What then will you do for your own great name? I just read between the lines here, okay? Because Joshua's really feeling sorry for himself, and he's mad, and he's embarrassed, and he's confused. He doesn't know what in the world to think because he's been beaten, and that wasn't supposed to happen. And he's almost as if he's asking God, okay, now what are you going to do? I mean, I'm out there. I'm trying to serve you, and I get beat, and I don't want to do that anymore. Sounds like us. Sometimes when I get mad at God, and oddly enough, it'll be more often than you think. But when things don't work out for me, and I think to myself, and I'm feeling sorry for myself, God, I'm just trying to serve you. I mean, I've given up so much, and I'll even tell God all the things I gave up for him. And I'll say, what in the world are you doing? All I need is a little help. You feel embarrassed, you feel angry, you feel ashamed, and you feel afraid. And you're ready to quit, and most of us do. And we sit in church the rest of our lives and we never do anything for God or take a chance because, you know what? We've convinced ourselves we can't. God doesn't want us. And I don't really want to take the chance. 
Because what do you do? What do you do when you feel that way? And that's what I want you to look at today. How do you get out of that? And what I'm going to do is share three things with you. Three points to come out of the rest of this story of what happens with the Joshua. And they're, they're so important that you understand these. As a matter of fact, when we get to this first point in just a minute, it is going to be a theologically profound statement. You need to write it down. Because this will be something that will just, you'll say, wow, why didn't I think of that? And here it is. Here's the first thing you do when you've suffered defeat. Number one, you don't quit. But isn't that profound? It took me a week to think of that one. You don't quit. Here's Joshua, and he failed, and you and I fail, and we've got to realize that the failures are part of the process God uses to prepare us. It's all part of the process. I want to read you now the rest of the story as it unfolds, as we go through these three points. In Joshua 8, verses 1 and 2, they, they've already taken care of Achan and the problem, and now where everything's good between Israel and God. And here's what the Lord says to Joshua, beginning in chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, why does God say that to him? Because he was afraid and he was discouraged. Do you know how many times that that statement is, that phrase is stated in the Bible? Every time God comes to one of his servants in the Bible, first thing he says, Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Because it seems like everybody in the Bible went through this, and so do you and I. And in the next part of this, in, uh, this verse, it says, Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. Now, these are the people that beat their rear ends a couple of days before. He says, For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves and set an ambush behind the city. Now, he says, I've already given them to you. Things are different this time. The first time with Jericho, I told you to keep nothing because it all belonged to me. It was your way of offering back to me the offering of first fruits. As we go into this land, to conquer this land, you give back to me this first victory. And then I'm going to give you the rest. But you give back to me. That was where they got themselves in trouble. They didn't. They kept some. But he tells them we're going to do things a little bit different. We're going to set an ambush. And I'll explain all that to you later. Now here's the question. And it's a very important question. Now you think about this, okay? How can God command us to not be afraid or discouraged? In other words, how can I say to you, don't be afraid, because it's a natural impulse, it's a feeling. You can't command feelings. You can't command somebody, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. I mean, how do you instruct somebody not to do that? Because it's the very thing they're going to feel they're going to do. But yet he does. He tells us that. Now, why is it that God can do this? Because all through the Old Testament he says this, don't be afraid. And here's what you're going to find. And this is true in the Bible and it's true in your life as well. That fear and discouragement are choices that we make. Whoa. Choices that we make. 
Think about this. God says, I'm telling you, Joshua, I'm going to give you this city and you're going to be victorious. You know that we talked about last week, Joshua evidently never asked God for instructions when they went against Ai the first time. Never inquired. He thought he knew it all. But God says, okay, this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to give you this city. He said, now you're going to, it comes down to a choice here, okay? So, so don't be afraid and discouraged because you've got to make a choice. You can either follow along with that and go off and sulk, or you can believe me. That's what it comes down to. Are you going to believe me when I tell you that you can do this? And when I tell you that I want you to do this, are you going to believe me? Are you going to be afraid? Folks, let me tell you something. The majority of us make the choice to worry and be afraid and be discouraged. We do. Because you think, you look at the enemy or you look at the obstacle, you look at the problem, you look at the, the, you know, the crowd, you look at all these things and you think to yourself, I can't do this. And God says, I'm, you're already going to be victorious, just go do it. And so it boils down to that simple question, are, are you going to trust him? Or are you going to choose to be afraid? And it seems like most of us make the choice to be afraid. So don't quit. Every time you quit, you'll never be victorious. Whatever it is in your life that you're having to deal with and face, if it ever is going to change, then you can't quit. Because God takes that and uses it and changes you and everything else and brings about a victory. But if you quit, there is no victory. Here's the second thing that I want to encourage you to do, and that is this. Don't get ahead of God. Not only do you not quit, but you don't jump ahead of him. This time in the life of Joshua, Joshua waited. He was there in, in sackcloth and ashes and repenting and praying out to God and said, I am not moving until you give me a word. I'm not going again until I hear from you. He should have done that the first time. See, that's the problem. He should have done that the first time, and he didn't. Every time we assume that we know what God wants, every time we assume that we can do it, and we never ask, we never pray, we never go to the Lord for instruction, every time we do that, we fail. And yet we do it all the time, time and time again. It is better for you and me to wait until we get a word from God until, rather than just going out and doing something I get so tired of hearing Christians say, well, we just got to do something. No, we don't. What you need to be doing is praying and seeking God's guidance and do the right thing. Do what God wants you to do right now, not just something. You know, as a church, you can always do something. You can put on a big show, but it's just something. Until God says to you, this is what you're to do. And the same thing is true with you because you will always gravitate to the idea that, you know what, I've got to make a big splash for God. And that's not true. Because more often than not, what God does is says, just wait there and listen to me. And I'm going to take you into this area of, of service that you may have never been before. And I'm going to go before you. And the people that you're going to minister to, I'm going to go ahead of you and change their hearts so they'll listen to you. And I'm going to go ahead of you and change the circumstances so that it might be 
more safe for you. The outcome might be better for you. But you have to let me have the time to do that. And during that process, you know what? God might even show, show you something about yourself that you never saw before. But if I just plow ahead and go do something for God because I, I'm a Christian and I need to do that, then usually what I'll do is the same thing Joshua did. I'll fail. And I'll fail because I didn't take the time to seek him. Have you ever been guilty of running ahead of God? I think some of us have. You know, when you get into your small groups tonight, you're going to be discussing this. You're going to be talking about it. That's one of the questions, really, that I've got for you. Have you ever been guilty of that? I want you to talk about it. I want you to tell other people, yeah, this is where I blew it. You know, I could stand up all day telling you where I blew it, but, you know, that's be better to hear from you. So don't quit and you don't jump ahead of God. Two important things that you've got to remember if you're ever going to bounce back from failure. But now here's the third one, and this is a big one, okay? This is very important. The third thing you're going to need to do is this, that you're going to need to realize that it's okay to try something different. It's okay to try something different. It's okay to do it differently than you did before. We all get into the rut of thinking that things have to be done the same way. Well, Christians are notorious for this. Why do we get into these ruts? I want you to watch as this story unfolds now. I'm going to read through this, move a little bit quickly, and bring it to a close. Now listen. In verses 3 through 8, after getting these instructions from God, here's what happens. Joshua, So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai the city that had beaten them before. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be be on the alert. I and all of those with me will advance on the city, coming from the front. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city, for they will say they are running away from us, as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up and ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will will give it into your hand. And when you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it, you have my orders. Oh, now what changed? See, the whole strategy has changed. With Jericho, God said, just march around the city. I'm going to knock the walls down. You go up into it and conquer it. But now the strategy changed. Victory still, you know, you're going to be victorious, but now we're going to do an ambush. You take 30,000 men, you go behind the city at night where nobody can see you, And in the morning, I'm going to march with my army up against the front of the city, and they're going to come out. And they're going to say, here we go again. They're out there. We got them the first time. Let's go do it again. They're going to chase us. And we're going to lure them away from the city. And that's what happened. They lured them away from the city, and the men of Ai came out to attack them. Let me read for you these verses. In verses 15 through 17 of Joshua 8, it says this. Joshua and all of Israel let themselves be driven back before them. And they fled toward the wilderness. All the men of Ai called to pursue them. 
And they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Listen to this now. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. In other words, the men came out and they attacked. And Joshua runs. While they're doing that, the 30,000 men behind the city come around, go into the city, and lickety-split, it's conquered. There's no men in there. They set it on fire. The men of Ai see what is going on. They see the smoke, and they start turning around to go back to the city. Now watch what happens. Verse 22 and 23, it says, Then, or I'm sorry, those in the ambush also came out of the city against them, so that they were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. In other words, Joshua turns, comes from one side. The men that conquered the city come out of it now. They got them in between and they conquered them. The whole strategy is different. Now why? Why did this strategy work? Now this is just a sidebar here, a little chase a rabbit trail here for a moment, okay? Why did this strategy of ambush work? You know why it worked? Because they failed the first time. The ambush would not have worked had they not run them off the first time. They were so overconfident that now they come out of the city and chase them, and that's their mistake. Now this brings a a point up here. It's kind of an afterthought here, okay? That God took their mess and their failure. And God brought about victory. Now guys, God can take anything you've done in your life that you've failed at. And God can change it all around and come at it from a different angle with what you have. And God can give you victory and success. That's what God does. And I'm so thankful that God takes my messes and my failures. And God works it all around and works the situation. And he comes back and I come out the second time. And all of a sudden, things are different. Because I waited on him and I listened and I came back at it and I didn't give up. And the strategy may be different, see, but it's okay. Now, the main point, main thing that I want you to see in this is, is this right here. That God's ministry doesn't have to be done the same way every time. See, Joshua, that was his mistake. I don't need to ask. I don't need to hear from him. We're not even going to bother him because we know what to do. We did it already this way. It's going to happen the same way the next time. So we're just going to do it. You know, I heard all kind of jokes throughout my life about churches and church work. My gosh, we're the worst people in the world for getting in a rut, aren't we? We get into a rut. This is the way it's been done. The way my grandfather did it. Father did it. The way we're going to do it. Come hell or high water, we're not changing. Well, you got to. You have to change. You know, the message doesn't change, but the methodology has to. And the things that you do, you have to be creative. You have to dream. You have to listen for God to show you what you need to do. You know, this year... Uh, we told you a couple of weeks ago that we canceled the uh, fall festival for this year. And there were a lot of people that just burned out on it. We've been doing it for a long time because it's always been done. And people were just tired. And originally, I told you this before, originally we, we did it back in the day 
uh, because it was an outreach into the community. We were the only church doing it. This was before I ever came. And I've been here 13 years, so uh, before I ever came. But we, did, we did the fall festival, and it was an outreach into the community. What has happened over the years, a lot of other churches are now doing. There are about 10 fall festivals in the community now. And it's just not an effective way of any kind of outreach. So we made some changes. And so Michael and Jennifer had an idea, and we got with the elders and talked about it. And so we canceled that as, as a way of outreach. If, if our people want to go trick-or-treating uh, or go to a fall festival, there's nine other churches in the community that they can go to for that. that that's fine. But what we're going to do is something different. Now, we've never done this before. And you know what? It might fail. Might. I don't know. But if it does, we're not going to quit. Great idea. Michael and Jennifer came up with this. And the idea of some of you have heard about this. And Jennifer's going to tell you a little bit about it at the end of the service today. But on, I think it's the 15th of December. I think it's a day. It's a Saturday. That's correct. From like, I don't know. 10 or 11 in the morning till 7 at night, they're going to be here. Uh, some of the folks are going to, I'm asking you to volunteer for this, so that's the reason I'm bringing it up, um, to watch children of people in the community who want to go shopping. Now, during that time, there's going to be a great program that's going to be going on for these kids, but they're also going to be learning some songs that they're going to perform on Sunday. Now, Whenever children perform in church on Sunday, the whole family comes out to see them. You want proof of that? Okay. How many of Caitlin's relatives are here today? Oh, look at that. Look at that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I told, uh, I told uh, um, Nathan earlier, I said, yeah. He said, we got a good crowd today. I said, yeah, half of them are Caitlin's folks, you know, family members. I said, we need to do this more often. You know, to get more youth up here because it always brings out parents. So here's what we're going to do. They're going to have a great day on Saturday, and then on Sunday, they're going to have to come back to hear the kids sing. And when they come, we're going to have a program going on that day, and I'm going to take about 10 minutes or so, and I'm going to share the gospel very clearly and very distinctly, and we're going to ask them to make a decision. Make a decision. Will you trust my Jesus or will you not? And hopefully God will take that and use it. Now, we need you, see, because Jennifer and Michael need some help. They, you don't have to maybe stay the whole time. You can stay part of the time, but come and help out on that Saturday and so that we can pull this off. And let's see if we can't get some people that don't go to church anywhere to come in here on that Sunday and hear the gospel message. And maybe they'll stick around. Who knows? But at any rate, here's the thing. Now, I want you to be aware of this, okay? Now, think, think with me about this, okay? What if it's a flop and nobody comes back on Sunday? That's always a risk. It's okay. It's okay. You have to start somewhere. You know what we're not going to do? We're not going to quit. Because if it's a good idea, and we prayed about this, and everybody seems to be in agreement, then it's okay to refine it and make some adjustments and do it again the following year. And we're not going to get ahead of God because we're going to bathe this thing in prayer. And we're going to do our planning and our strategy, but we're going to do that. And we're going to be okay with doing something different. You see, that's key. Because the message will never change. The clarity of the gospel doesn't change. But methodology does. And guys, 
individually, we've got to be creative as individuals in our own life because there's somebody in your life you want to reach with with Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and there's other ministries that you've, you've had in your heart and mind that you want to do. And if you're going to pull it off, if you're going to do this, then you're going to have to be creative. And that's okay. And as a pastor of this church, I give you the freedom, and I will help you in every way I can, to be as creative and innovative and strange as you want to be. It's okay. Because if you've bathed this in prayer and God leads you to do something and this is of God, then we can agree and we can work together. Because that's what we want to do. I have told you before, and I've, um, we use this, this um, we teach this here at this church. Um, when it comes to people finding where they fit in the body of Christ, we use what is called their shape. Um, it's, we use the first letters of each of these things, and it, it creates the word shape. It's easy to remember. These are the things that go into making you unique. Now listen to me, okay, because this is important. You will at times be faced with the need or the opportunity to minister. And these are the things that you need to consider in, in doing that. It's called your shape. Here they are. Well, number one is your spiritual gift. You need to know, you know, where am I gifted? If I'm not a very good teacher, then, you know, maybe God doesn't want me teaching. And I've got to be able to acknowledge that and see that. You might try it, but by trying it, you may eliminate it. I don't know. But the next thing you've got to consider in determining where God wants you to fit in is your heart. Because your passions are very important. The things that you are passionate about and care about, the things that are important to you, that's what is going to make you go at something full bore. And that's important. And this is where listening to the heart of God comes. You, you know, you want God to say, stir my passion, Lord. If it's going to jail ministry, then stir that in me. If it's working with street people, if it's teaching third grade boys, then what, whatever, then stir my passion. The other, S-H-A, got to spell it out so I know how to spell it. S-H-A-P, what is it? S-H-A, I've forgotten. Abilities is the A, okay. Yeah, I jumped ahead of myself. Abilities is the A. Oh, what abilities do you have? You know, what have you done? What's your experience? What can you do? See, that's important to know if you're going to serve the Lord. What am I good at? And it could be hammering nails. It could be anything. Because God can take it and use it. And the last thing is the E, your life experiences. What have you experienced in life? Because I'll tell you something, and I know this from talking to some of you. The experiences of your life are very cruel. You've been through some terrible things. And you think to yourself, how can God ever take this mess that I call life and use it? Oh, man, let me tell you. Because when you seek the Lord in this and you, and you pour out your heart to God and say, Lord, I want to be used. And all I've got is a broken heart, bad experiences, and scars from the past. God says, that's great. Give it to me and I'm going to show you where I can use it. And God will lead you, give you a passion and a heart for people that need what you've got. And they've been through similar situations. All of this to say, guys, you're going to fail. There will be times in life where you step out in faith and you just know God's there and you blow it. And you've got to learn from that, okay? But you, number one, you don't quit. My gosh, if you quit, it's all over. Don't quit. You don't jump ahead of God. 
You listen. You follow the heart of God. You be obedient to what God has led you to do. And you realize that, you know what, even though it may sound outlandish and other people may not understand, it's okay to be different. It's okay to do something different. Be obedient. Did I leave one out? S-H-A-P, personality. (laughs) I should have written this word down. (laughs) All right, personality. Yeah, the third one, the next one is personality. They're all jumbled up, but you can make it out, okay? Uh, We all have different personalities, so that's going to be important, too, understanding how you're geared and what way you're geared, okay? Guys, I want you to... I want you to feel the freedom to minister. I want you to feel the freedom to serve God as God leads you. And you know what? As long as it's biblical, <laughs> you know, it's, it's okay. And, and we'll do all we can to help you and to support you in that way. But I, I don't want you giving up. That's the main thing. Just hang in there and be ready and expect failure to happen. It's okay. It's part of God's plan. You're here this morning. And uh, you don't know the first thing about salvation. You don't know what it means to be a Christian or what it means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says that we're all sinners. Every one of us has sinned and that God has judged us all because of it. But God loves us too. And the Bible says that he loves us so much. In John three sixteen, it says, For God so loved the world. That's you. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It comes to a point in your life where you have to believe it or not. You have to accept it or reject it. What's it going to be for you? There has to come a point, and this may be your point in time. Will you put your faith in him? Will you believe that Jesus died for you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. The Bible calls upon each one of us to make a decision. Either he is God or he's not. Either he died on the cross and rose again or he didn't. And you're going to have to make a decision. What do you believe? The Bible says that whosoever believes in him has, right now, eternal life. I stand here before you as a sinner, a redeemed, forgiven man, because Jesus paid it all. And he paid it all for you too, but you have to accept it. And that's what I'm asking you to do here right now. Right there in the quietness of your own heart. To realize, number one, you are a sinner. Number two, Jesus died for you. All of your sins from birth to death are paid for. And number three, by faith, I accept it. I believe it. The Bible says that whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what I'm asking you to do right now. You're turning to him in faith. You're calling upon him to save you. It's that simple. It's a gift. Let me lead you in a prayer. The prayer goes like this. The prayer doesn't save you. Your faith saves you, but this is you verbally responding to God. You can follow along in your own heart. God, I know that I am a sinner. I know that my life has shamed me. But I believe what the Bible says. Jesus died on a cross for me. My sins are paid. And I believe. 
today, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm not going to have you come forward. I don't do that here. I don't try to embarrass you or make a spectacle of you. This is something between you and God. I'm just asking you just to let me know by putting your hand up and saying, Pastor, you can pray for me because right now I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. Just slip your hand up and put it back down and say, Let, pray for me today because I'm trusting in him today. Glory to God. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the message of Jesus Christ from the gospel. Lord, I thank you for our church and the people that work so hard to spread the word, to minister to people's needs and to help them. And Father, I pray that in, in, as we endeavor to do that, when we seem to fail, that we would realize that with you there are no failures. Father, we may change it, we may tweak it, it may look different when we come back at it, but Lord, there will be success if we just hang in there because you are a God of success. And Father, you want to reach people more than we do. So Lord, we're praying for your guidance, your direction on each and every life that is here. And may we be faithful to do what you have led us to do individually and as a church. And may your name be glorified in all. In Jesus' name, amen.